Yes, we are so excited to be here. Day five. five. Holy Friday. cow, five. Wait, five, yeah. five absolutely beautiful I know, Chicago I know, weather I know. days. I know. You guys have really lucked out because yeah. the weather doesn't get any better than this in absolutely. Chicago. And wow, manufacturing is on fire. It, it is on fire. It, it is on it, fire. I just heard the latest statistics. What's Over 127,000 people have registered for IMTS this year. And it's, and it's growing, and it's growing. Record attendance. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's keep that momentum yes. going. Yes. And you know, you know, Jason, I have been intimately involved in this industry for for over 40 years. 40 years? 40 years, you're yeah. Believe, you're always telling me how- Believe it, believe yeah. it, You're it's always true. telling me how wise you are, and I guess you've got I, some I, I've got it behind all you. behind me, yes. <laughs> but no, it's been over 40 years, wow. and you know, there hasn't been a day that has gone by where I haven't thought about milling machines or end mills right. and, and for the last 20 cam technology we use it all the time in yep. the shop and it's all really relevant stuff all three important things that go together yeah. to make my shop run at peak performance. yeah you have to have the best cad cam the best machine tools and the best cutting tools in order to be a successful manufacturing leader absolutely and you know what the best thing about what you just said no. We have three dynamic panels here from major, major corporations. They're the C-suite, and I can't wait to get them on stage and tell the metalworking nation what is exciting in our industry and what's yet to come. Well, should we bring them up? Let's do it. Okay. Our first guest serves as the president and COO of Okuma Corporation. Having been named to the post in April 2011, he originally joined the Okuma organization in January 2010 as the Senior Vice President of Sales. During his career, he managed national sales, channel marketing, and service groups, as well as directed sales planning. Please welcome to the Making Chips main stage, Jim King. All right, Jim. Yes, absolutely. Our next guest is CMO and General Manager of Iskar Metals, a USA subsidiary of the IMC Group in Berkshire Hathaway. Iskar's cutting tool products aim for the three Ps, I know three Ps that you want, productivity, profitability, and performance. Andrew started as a cutting tool design engineer for Iskar in 1984 and has advanced in the company over the last 34 years. Please welcome to the Making Chips main stage, Andrew Benson. And our final panelist is president and CEO of CNC Software, makers of Mastercam, the most widely used cam system in the market. She grew up around CAD CAM and gained valuable job experience inside and outside of the manufacturing industry before officially joining CNC Software in 2009. 2014, the Society of Manufacturing Engineers named her as one of the 30 under 30 future leaders of manufacturing. Please help me welcome to the Making Chips main stage, Megan West. All right. So the, the first thing that I want to start with is this term that everybody's throwing around all the time, Industry 4.0. And I know it's important, I know it's where the industry is going and it's what manufacturing leaders need to do in order to stay competitive. So tell me what it means from your perspective, from your company, 
what is industry 4.0? Because there's a ton of definitions out there. Nobody's the same. Everybody's got a different perspective. So why don't we start with you, Jim? Well, industry 4.0 really for us is the ability to gather data, take that data and somehow put it into analytics to be able to understand what's happening on the plant floor. So we define industry point for 4.0 or IoT as an enabler for manufacturing to be able to collect data, this make good business decisions on a real-time basis. Okay, Andrew? Basically, uh, in agreement with Jim, we believe from the cutting tool perspective, it's about producing tools that allow for the elimination of variation in the process because once we do collect this data and we begin to share the data and we all become connected, we have to ensure what we're providing as terms of inputs, there's very limited variability. And so that's one element ISCOR is working on. Yeah, I think what it means to us is connectivity and integration. We're just one piece of that manufacturing experience and, and you know, for us, it's being able to collect that data and then what do you do with it? I mean, the, the main goal and hope with Industry 4.0 is that it's going to make manufacturing more effective and more efficient. And so for us, it's how do we pull that from different sources and then use that in a positive way. It's funny, I am just amazed at how I've seen this progression and, and our industry just moving so fast from all the years, the mid 80s when I was running a, you know, a manual machine and then CNC machine in the mid 80s. And to Megan specifically, I, I've really seen how the CAM technology has become an integral part in automation and in the way our machine shops run nowadays. How is CAD and CAM merging, because they're two entirely different things, how are they merging and how does it impact the end user? It's a good question. I mean, yeah. Obviously they are merging because you know, you need CAD for CAM. You do. You know, you've got that design for manufacturability. So if you design something that can't be manufactured, that's a problem. So they have to work together very closely. And, you know, a lot of the companies in our industry are, are really binding together and having that CAD and that CAM. But what we've done really well is focus on CAM. And we work really well with all the different CAD companies in the industry. We take that in and then we put the best tool paths to that. And so, you know, I think just the communication between the two has, has really improved, the integration between the two of them. But I, I think the other thing is that they push us to be better. You know, we see what CAD is We doing. as machine shops, the end users Absolutely. pushing you to say, hey, we need this. Right. Kinda, that's where you need to amp up it. Well, it's, it's our customers are pushing us to be better, but our competitors are pushing us to be better as well. And, and we thrive on that. Yeah. You know, we see what everybody is doing and we say, okay, how do we take that and, and take it a step further? Awesome. Andrew, this next question is for you. Machine tools, we've seen this them adapting to be able to monitor the condition of the cutting tools and, and be able to adapt to some of those, those conditions. What's possible by connecting that cutting tool technology with the machine tool in the future? Right. So, you know, we think that the cutting tool, at least the future, is still going to be a perishable item that is consumed in the process. What we're doing is we're trying to take indexable technology down to very, very small tools. We actually can have a two-fluid end mill now that's a 5 sixteenths diameter, a three-fluid end mill at 3 eighths diameter. The inserts are very, very small, so small that they just can fit on the tip of your finger. And so it's quite amazing. What we can do, though, is in that environment, typically a solid carbide end mill is used, and it's reconditioned. We believe that eventually reconditioned tools will have to go away from the shop of no the future. No really? Well, because reconditioned tools introduce variability. If you have a system that's highly controlled and you're controlling the data and the information, 
you don't want to have to inject variability into the system and say, this tool is an exception. It's a smaller diameter, or this tool is not the same length as the tool that was in there before it. So indexable technology allows replenishment of the tool, and it allows for the tool to be factory original, same specs and diameter, so it works with the whole system. Okay, great. So like right now, we, we work with our, our clients to say, okay, below this diameter, we're just going to throw them in the garbage, and above this, we're going to recondition them. But you're saying because of the data and that repeatability and being able to work with the machine tools, you're just you're not even gonna have to worry about any kind of reconditioning. Well, we believe below certain diameters there'll still be the need to do that. But the problem is if you're going to build this very high-level system that hopefully operates on its own and makes decisions even eventually, the inputs have to be constant. You cannot have variation. And so we're working at it from that side. Great. As a rule in my shop, we typically say anything under three-eighths is disposable. Anything over three-eighths, we can have it resurfaced or reground. So now you can say five-sixteenths. Now I can say five-sixteenths, <laughs> but I totally get it because there's so much control over taking those inserts and putting it in. Every time you put that new insert in, you've got a brand new end mill that's right on size. We know what it's going to cut and we don't have to think about it. And plus, in the reconditioning process, you don't know if it's gonna be exactly ground to the original specifications. Yeah. Jim, exactly, and even in the world of drilling, we're down to four millimeters now with an indexable tool, so. Four millimeters, 156 thousandths. Wow, Yeah. awesome. It says gym to gym, so this is a gym to gym question. <laughs> Good. Does the machine tool builder, which I know you know well, design differently based on the advancements in manufacturing software? I don't think we design the machines any differently. I think what we do is we design, I think is in general, the builders will design for performance, for accuracy, rigidity, and what we look to the, the software suppliers to do is to come along with us and, and create a partnership that says, we're gonna create a, a faster, higher performance machine tool as an industry. We're gonna take the tooling, ask them to step up to be able to achieve the things that we're doing from an acceleration, from the ability to push the tool. We go to the software companies, we partner with them and say, okay, we now have this great machine. It's a five axis machine with great tooling. Now help us make the best tool path possible so that the job shop could be more competitive. And so really it's a collaboration of the three of us yeah. to really end the work holding to be able to, to, to perform at a higher level. So we're always gonna push our machine to go faster, better, last longer, cut better parts on a more reliable situation. And we rely heavily on them as partners really to make it work all together because without them, we don't cut metal. Right, absolutely. Andrew, I'm gonna go back, I'm gonna go back to you. You know, sensors are something that, you know, you can, you can put them in a lot of different places. You can have them in the machine tool, you can have them in the cutting tool, you can have them in a variety of different places. How do you balance, you know, because I, I see a lot out there, the new technology where they do have sensors in the cutting tools. How do you balance when to use sensors in that applications and when not to? So, you know, we have been experimenting with sensors actually on the tool that can sense pressure, temperature, things of that nature. But what we're thinking going forward, and, and of course nobody has a, a full solution because you can... You can probably understand the variation of cutting tools and being able to supply that type of data collection to a great range of products that are out there. We think that we're probably gonna look more to the machine tool builder as the, the data collection. And by looking at their data, we're gonna understand how the cutting tool is performing and then actually use that 
as the point of a decision. Okay, so you don't see sensors being in every tool out there. It's going to be some maybe select applications or? I think in some applications that are, you know, let's just say deep boring applications or something that's maybe more extreme where you can monitor vibration and then make decision based on vibration. I think that those technologies probably do make sense. But when we talk about the world of cutting tools, it's such a broad range and we talk about sensor technology, I think it's probably better to have more of a uniform approach through looking at the spindle on the machine because they're very capable on what they can collect and measure today, actually. Right. Okay. Tell me how that works, that uh, tool sensor technology. So when the tool is in inside the bore and it's, it's cutting a bore, how is it being sent back, where is it being sent to? Is it being sent to the machine tool? Is it being sent to our smartphone? Do we have the option at that time to adjust the conditions? Tell me how that works. So if we're using the machine tool as the basis of data collection, actually they're able to connect to other connected devices. They have software that will actually give you uh, very specific data points like what's the condition of, let's just say the temperature of the spindle or what's the current load on that spindle or how many parts were produced in this particular shift, or even you know, many hundreds of different types of data points, you know, just depending on what you're looking to collect. But from the actual point of the cutting tool itself, it's really an indirect measurement. You're looking actually at the performance of the machine tool, but indirectly it's the cutting tool that's actually affecting that, and you're indirectly measuring actual performance and cut. And Megan has master cam collaborated with the cutting tool manufacturers and the machine tool manufacturers with regards to this new type of software development and how how is mastercam adjusting to this data that is bringing the machine tool and the cutting tool together you know the collaboration at, at this point has really been as they're developing new technology we kind of develop tool paths to make sure that you know we're pushing them as, as fast as we can. So you know we've had some really great partnerships with both Iskar and Akuma. We find out what they're doing. We send our tech guys in, and and they just kind of work together to keep pushing. In fact, one of our technologies was helped in conjunction with Iskar. They they really helped us kind of dial in our dynamic technology, and and we helped them kind of create a, a tool that was going to push that as much as we could. In terms of the data, you know, I think we're not quite there yet. Really, the, the feedback is from us to them. You know, we, we kind of give them that toolpath. What I see happening is more of a bi-directional feedback, taking the information from the machine tool as well and, and kind of giving some recommendations on what the optimum parameters are going to be, kind of that smart manufacturing. How do we give the customer a, a better idea of what the optimum toolpath is going to be? What are the latest things in CamTech? Because I'm not too involved in what's going on in the shop. I know everyone's using the CAM technology in my shop, but I'm always interested in hearing what the latest developments in, in CAM technology is. Can you, can you share with us any of that? Yeah, I mean, our dynamic technology, I mean, a lot of it is, is making sure that we're using the tools as effectively as possible because it is a perishable item. It's how do we allow the customer to get the most out of that? And so we work with them to, to get better tool engagement, to get faster tool paths. You know, how do we save time and money for the customer? That's what it's all about, saving time and money, right? You like that? Well, that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to do. Jim, everything we see here at IMTS revolves around the machine tool. It's like, I, I think about it and I think, you know, it's like a triangle and, and the machine tool builder is here at the top. How does a machine tool builder connect all of the complementary products 
to deliver maximum value to the end user. I think it's incumbent on us as a builder. I said earlier, we don't, if the machine touches the part, that's a bad thing. So if the tool touches the part, that's a good thing. So we, we try not to make our machines touch the part. It's called a unplanned maintenance event. So they, you know, from that standpoint, we have to have a partnership in order to really work tightly with the end user. You know, we'll, we'll sit with end users. Our industry should sit with the end user, bring in different partners and say, okay, you have to produce this part we can sit down and decide what's the best way to do that. How do you hold it? Do you need high pressure cooling? What are the, yes. thi what are the other things around that that allows us to perform best and make that end user, job shop, large company, more competitive? The amount of collaboration, if done correctly. If done correctly. If yes. done correctly, yeah. with, the, with the end user in mind, we, on a regular basis, will sit down in our facilities with, with Mastercam, with ISCAR, and even the other competitive software and tooling guys in the same room with a customer, and we'll work together to find the best solution. Yeah. But for us, it's really collaboration. We're, not, we're, we're never going to have all of the right answers for the customer. Sure. We really need, again, we need these guys to be able to to well, do the right things. You mentioned 1,000 PSI through the spindle coolant, yeah. and we were introduced to that about five years ago. And when I was told that I could run my Surface V 10 times faster by going to a one, I mean, I got goosebumps. <laughs> because, I mean, that's all I want, you know, what we need to do is we need to get that drill, get that end mill down into the tool as fast as possible. We want to get that chip out of the hole. We want to keep the workpiece, we want to keep the metal cool, and of course we want to keep the edge of that cutting tool as cool as possible. So I, I think that has been a revolutionary new product that has been available, and I think we're going to see a lot more from that in the future. So Andrew, tell me, how, how did you go about, because I'm sure you were instrumental in the development of your cutting tools with this 1,000 PSI through the spindle coolant. Yes, you're absolutely right, Jim. There, there is a trend towards using high-pressure coolant, and it's for many reasons, but ideally it's to reduce the temperature of cut. Anytime you can reduce the temperature of cut, you can increase the longevity of the tool, yep. but you can even feed the tool much faster because you're taking basically heat away from the material. Right. And in today's market, and anyway. Chip, chip evacuation. That's right, and yes. also the chip evacuation, actually where even there's problematic chip evacuation, you know, to be able to force the chips out. Drilling's a perfect example. When you're drilling today, if you're not using some type of high-pressure coolant to eject the chips, you're really making a big mistake, and you're not optimizing your system. But even if you look at the materials that are being cut today, there's been a big trend towards more exotic materials that are more lightweight. You know, we all talk about lightweighting of automobile and uh, aircraft, a lot of titanium, Inconel. Astalloy. Astalloy. Yep. Basically materials that are very high temperatures are created when cutting, I think that the coolant systems are mandatory if you really want to have the best performance. Our tooling systems are designed to pinpoint the coolant. If you look very closely, you'll see where our tools pinpoint the coolant at the cutting edge on the top, at the cutting edge from the bottom. We even have inserts with holes pressed through the middle to bring the coolant as close as we can to the cutting edge in order to reduce cutting temperature. So you're absolutely right. It's something everybody should consider if they don't have on their machine. So Jim, you, you mentioned that collaboration, and, and Megan, I know you, you talked about those dynamic tool paths that you worked on with ISCAR. 
and I want to ask this to, to any one of you. Do you have like a specific example where you collaborated together? And you know, Jim and I have talked about this a lot on the show where it used to be 20 years ago where everybody was secretive. You'd come to IMTS and everybody would display all their brand new products and you know, Akuma wouldn't know what Iskar was coming out with and nobody would know what each other was doing. But now it's all about collaborations, about working together. I want to hear some specific examples where you're working with say like an end user and collaborating between the machine tool, the cutting tool and the CAD cam in order to really meet some objective that, that you wanted. And Jim, it looks like you're chopping yeah, up the answer. You know, when I, <laughs> when I look at this, because every builder has a partner program that they'll promote. In Charlotte, we have a partner program where they actually have full-time people that reside in our building. And we actually, I can't give you a customer name, but the customer will bring the part in, he'll bring the diagrams in, and we will have competitors to each one of the work holding, the tooling, the tool path will all sit in the room and, and we will go through that drawing and we'll collaborate as a team. And I can tell you that that happens at least three times a month in our facilities and I would hope it would happen in other builders because it is important because not any one organization that we deal with has all of the answers. Right. From a, from a CAM software, from tooling and work holding, each has a very strong capability and if we leverage that and the end user benefits, we do that it, several times, and, and the end users, the end one, they know their process better than we do. So we know our machine, you know your tooling, you know your CAM software. We rely on them to understand that and the customer truly to understand what the process is. Right. And when you get all that knowledge together, and we know our machines well, we'll put that together and we can take time out of the cut and be much more effective. That's what it's all about. Yeah, we were. I just want to interject. We were over at your booth the other day, and we saw the new hybrid machines with the additive. And at first, I didn't. You know, I'm a visual guy, being a machinist. But when I saw the hybrid technology, I finally got it, and I finally understood the application around it and how it made sense for me. So I just want to commend you on that. Thank great, you. Great Thank technology. you. Technology. One of the things I wanted to comment when it comes to data in a machine. One of the things that I, I really I challenge my organization and even the customer at times is get connected. I don't care how you get connected, but just get connected because a lot of the tools today are existing in every CNC to be able to connect the machine and start collecting data. Yeah. And so I believe like you, the machine tool will be the, 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 the collector of information. We'll gather the, the tool temp, vibration, we'll monitor the ball screw, the spindle bearings, the heat inside the envelope of the machine. We'll take all that data and be able to allow the machinist to really optimize his process over a long haul, be more predictive. It also, as you get to a part out of titanium that by the time you're done three quarters of the way through, it's a $250,000 engine casing. Uh, oops at that stage is, is, you know, <laughs> it, is a heart attack waiting to happen. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so you know, what we try to do is if we collect all this data, I think we can be a lot better at how we help a customer stop before he wrecks a $250,000 piece of part that he's trying to finish. Yeah, and one of the things that we've talked about when we talk about digitization and the collection of data is it can be overwhelming. So you want to start small. Like you don't have to say, I need to collect a hundred pieces of data, because you're not going to do anything with a hundred pieces of data. Right. Look for two. You right. know what I mean? Collect, look at two pieces of data and start doing something with that and then build your way up and create a scorecard yeah. and figure out what direction you there, want to go. There's free software out in the marketplace that allows you to collect data. You can download it from the internet and you can start collecting data 
give the machine an IP address and I can start streaming data to you. Yeah. And, I, and I strongly suggest people just start there. And, and they don't give you a whole lot of data. They give you enough for part count, spindle uptime, fault codes can be sent up through MT Connect. All those things are, can be done free. And, and I, I tell and people- all, It's all valuable information too that we can, we can take and we can adjust based on all that data. Yeah, it helps absolutely. you to make better decisions on what cut, you know, I'm gonna improve the cutting tool technology that I have based on the data or I'm gonna optimize my tool paths or you know, you look absolutely. at the data and you figure out where to start making those decisions. I mean, that's ultimately what it is. It helps you to make better decisions. Yeah. I have a question to any of you. How has R&D changed for your businesses because of Industry 4.0? So thinking about research development, how has it changed your, you know? What's interesting, we're a cutting tool company. So we're, we're a manufacturing company. Uh, we design and make tools just like companies have always done. But what we find is there's an element of our business that continues to grow and that's the IT side of it. We're becoming more and more of an IT company to build the data around the tools. You know, we really enjoy working with progressive companies like Akuma and Mastercam. Mastercam has, in many ways, helped us and helped the market through building data libraries. And the next level of that is to program in what are the expected cutting conditions of a given tool and a given material and make those databases so robust. So how have we changed? We have to be able to supply data in order to support the community to be able to understand what it is that they're working with and for these systems to work together. Yeah, Wait. I would say that, that it's kind of forced us to get outside of our company. You know, we've so far been able to do a lot of our R&D just kind of at home and at headquarters and, and with our people, but with, with Industry 4.0, with the connectivity with other companies, it's kind of forced us to make sure that we have those partnerships. And fortunately, we, we have that foundation, which has been fantastic. And, and having that understanding what technology Okuma is coming out with and ISCAR, it allows us to get that technology to the customer a lot faster because we can kind of develop in parallel. But in terms of 4.0, it's, it's understanding that data that they're collecting and how we can use it. And we're at a point now where we don't, we don't have to actually figure out what the feed rates is. All of that information is now within Mastercam. We know if we take a 3 8 five flute variable pitch end mill and we're putting it in a 4140 pre-hard material, all of the data that is in Mastercam is already there and ready to go. We don't even have to, we don't have to get out a book and figure the surface feed per minute. It's all in there and we don't have to do that anymore, right? So that's that. That's wildly I've seen from you know a standpoint, just transitioning that it's 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 leaps and bounds. Well, and, and the great thing about that is, as it becomes more difficult to find qualified people to run your machine tools, exactly. it makes it that much easier to train them. I mean, we we talked about that on Monday that instead of it being you got to work this manual machine for three months and then you're gonna we'll, we'll maybe move you up after you're you know what you're doing. Now it's like you know couple days learning the CAD CAM software and then you can jump on the on the CNC machine and the young kids they don't want to work the manual machines. They don't want to they don't want to do that. They and they don't have the years of experience of you listening to that cutting tool to say, yeah, it needs to, you know, I need to increase the feed rate. Well, no, you should be able to rely on the data and the software in order to help you with that. Uh, 100%. So tell us how can we better play together as a decision machine shop? How do I know, how do I, how do I work together as a community to pick the right products for my shop? You know, there's, there's many, many different brands being represented here at IMTS. Can you explain to us how, how we can kind of like step back from it all and identify what 
those particular needs are. Um, can you kind of like walk me through that as a representative here from the metalworking nation? I think we've almost gotten to a point where it's, we're not necessarily selling a product anymore, any of us. We're selling a service. You know, and I think that's as the millennial generation continues to, to enter the industry, that's just going to continue to to increase. I mean, think about what their experiences are in general. You know, radio listening, it's, that's not a product anymore. You've got Pandora, where their tagline is effortless radio listening. You've got they want the things done for the too. Making Chips podcast. <laughs> effortless radio listening. But, you know, understanding that that's what we're up against, and if we can figure out how to work together to really sell this manufacturing experience and a service to the customer, you know, if they can, can find companies that are working together and kind of integrating better, I think that's, that's kind of where we're looking at. Yeah, I think you're seeing that a lot of companies today are actually putting technology centers in place just for this purpose to introduce the customer to a full solution to a problem. And maybe it's not just a cutting tool, it's actually something else, maybe a bar feeder goes with it to improve productivity or there's something about it that the, they need something specific. But Akuma has done a, an amazing job with this with their Think program where they have such a collaborative environment to bring a customer in that type of environment and they have actually the choice of many different technologies and it actually aids and uh, provides almost like a, a one-stop shopping environment on the latest in technology. And, and, it's, and what's great is we collaborate independently, but we also, with other companies, but also in these types of environments. So it's a great forum for the, yeah. for the customer. You know, I believe that from a builder standpoint, we don't sell a machine. We sell a process. I can easily sell a machine to someone. I'll sell the first one to them, but if I don't help that customer through the process with partners, we won't get the second, third, and fourth machine. Secondarily, you got to have local. My my opinion is you have to have local people working with the the shops, people they can trust, people they can work with every day, understand what goes on in their shops, understands the challenge of each of the shops, so that they can come back to us and provide the input that says the industry is heading in this direction. We're moving to exotic metals, and we need feedback as the suppliers to the marketplace. Really, what are your challenges, and then how do we collectively work to solve those? You know, a lot of times I wonder how the job shop can keep up with all this technology, and I think it's our responsibility to, to show, the, show you guys what's different, what's new, and can it apply to what you're, what you're doing in your business, and then provide a solution, not just a machine, not just a cam package, not just a tool. But how do we make you more efficient so that you can compete on a global basis? Andrew mentioned your THINK program. I, yeah. I am not familiar with that. Would you mind letting us know what that's about? Akuma, many years ago, started a PC-based CNC control. And we called that the THINK controller, the intelligent numerical control. So THINK. <laughs> and in that, we started a partner program that had partners that could connect up via API to our PC-based control. And over the years, over the last 20 years, it has evolved to, the, to a program that we have, I'm going to say, all the critical suppliers to, the, to a job shop or to an, to an end user that reside in a separate building from our main plant wow. where they bring technology in and say, listen, I've got a, a new, new tool path I want to test. And we'll give them a machine, we'll test the tool path. Or a new tool will come in and say, okay, can we, can we have a five-axis 
machine and try something different. And, and there's this collaboration, irrespective of the customer, there's collaboration and development that happen in this Partners and Think program. We think it's a hallmark of how we go to market. So one of the things that we like to ask our panelists is give the Metalworking Nation just some, some parting words as, as it relates to this idea of the collaboration, the Industry 4.0 and where we're going. And I'll, I'll start with Megan. Like I said, you know, it takes all of us to get this to move forward. Jim mentioned it earlier, without the CAM software, his machines don't cut chips. But without the tooling and without the machine tools, our, our software doesn't do a whole lot. So understanding the value of being able to work together and, and really being able to test that, because we can't test the software without the machines and without the tools. So that integration, that platform, you know, knowing that, that it's not just three separate companies, we're, we're kind of a, a consortium. We're, we're all working together to figure this out. And I think that's just going to increase with the data, with Industry 4.0, because there's so many more opportunities for that collaboration and connection. How about you, Andrew? You know, I think that to support the factory of the future, a company can't be an island onto itself. We can't give the full solution, so we have to collaborate. You're hearing the word again, collaborate, collaborate. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. But even during this collaboration, it actually accelerates the engineering cycle because we learn from Mastercam, we learn from Akuma, and that allows us to actually design in the newest features in our tools to help take it to the next level. So again, I think it all comes back to getting together and sharing our ideas and providing the maximum value to the customer. Great, great. How about you, Jim? My closing comments are is get connected. Yeah. I mean, it, there are so many ways in so many different software packages to start collecting data. And if it's a free software package, we're building more and more sensors into our machines. We're putting all sorts of accelerometers, temperature probes, to really start looking and collecting data. And so I, I challenge any of the end users, job shops, start collecting data. Connect up a machine, to your point. Yeah. Just one. And just start seeing what kind of data you can get out of that machine to make it more efficient. And that's really a challenge I give everybody. Great. Thanks. So, Jim, I have, I have one question for you. Are you, do you feel better or are you more, more overwhelmed now? I'm pretty excited, quite Are you? Frankly. Okay, good, I'm good. I'm pretty yeah. excited. There's a lot of information there. There's a lot of information there, but as you know, manufacturing is challenging. Yes, it we is. say it all the time yeah. on the that's show. That's why you need a collaboration of manufacturing leaders to help you along with that. So That's yeah. why we come together. That's why yep. we share this platform as a community of manufacturing leaders, yep. and hopefully, if we can come together and we can share, we can talk, we can be honest and authentic yep. with each other, yep. then we can help each other rise above, and you know, it's all good. Yep. But there's one thing that we always say at the end of our show, and it goes something like, if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Bam. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips Podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution. And many of them are at makingchips.com.